This episode is brought to you by Five Bullet Friday, my very own email newsletter. It's become one of the most popular email newsletters in the world with millions of subscribers, and it's super, super simple. It does not clog up your inbox. Every Friday, I send out five bullet points, super short, of the coolest things I've found that week, which sometimes includes apps, books, documentaries, supplements, gadgets, new self-experiments, hacks, tricks, and all sorts of weird stuff that I dig up from around the world. You guys, podcast listeners and book readers, have asked me for something short and action-packed for a very long time. Because after all, the podcast, the books, they can be quite long. And that's why I created Five Bullet Friday. It's become one of my favorite things I do every week. It's free. It's always going to be free. And you can learn more at tim.blog forward slash Friday. That's tim.blog forward slash Friday. I get asked a lot how I meet guests for the podcast, some of the most amazing people I've ever interacted with. And little known fact, I've met probably 25% of them because they first subscribed to Five Bullet Friday. So you'll be in good company. It's a lot of fun. Five Bullet Friday is only available if you subscribe via email. I do not publish the content on the blog or anywhere else. Also, if I'm doing small in-person meetups, offering early access to startups, beta testing, special deals, or anything else that's very limited, I share it first with Five Bullet Friday subscribers. So check it out, tim.blog forward slash Friday. If you listen to this podcast, it's very likely that you'd dig it a lot. And you can, of course, easily subscribe anytime. So easy peasy. Again, that's tim.blog forward slash Friday. And thanks for checking it out. If the spirit moves you. Optimal minimal. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start to shake. Can I answer your personal question? Now would have seen an appropriate time. What if I did the opposite? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over metal endoskeleton. Hello, boys and girls. This is Tim Ferriss. Welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show, where it is my job to deconstruct world-class performers of all different types, to tease out the routines, habits, and so on that you can apply to your own life. This is a special in-between episode, which serves as a recap of the episodes from the last month. features a short clip from each conversation in one place, so you can jump around, get a feel for both the episode and the guest, and then you can always dig deeper by going to one of those episodes. View this episode as a buffet to whet your appetite, a lot of fun. We had fun putting it together. And for the full list of the guests featured today, see the episode's description, probably right below wherever you press play in your podcast app. Or as usual, you can head to tim.blog slash podcast and find all the details there. Please enjoy. First up, Greg McEwen, author of Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less and Effortless, Make it easier to do what matters most. So you have that farewell with your daughter sending right. her off to Manaus, right. which I've always wanted to visit, but that's a separate story. So where do you go from there, right? Because people have these realizations. Maybe they go, I have no idea. They go on a rafting trip with friends. And they think to themselves, oh my God, this was so nourishing. I deepened my relationships with three of my most cherished friends and I need to do more of this. But then it like sand through the fingers slips away as they re-enter their daily lives. And that's kind of it. Things get busy, things get crowded out. So what do you do or what did you do or what are you doing after you have that realization? Let me answer this in a conceptual way first of all, right? Like 
So I have all sorts of limitations that make focus challenging, that make prioritization challenging, that, that make relationships challenging. And all of us have our own mix of literally our DNA can predispose us to various weaknesses. And so the key for me seems to have been, I have to build, I mean, the word gets overused, like build a system that's equal to that challenge. And so I have like a paper planner that I built and designed myself and keep adapting all the time. As soon as I learn, oh, that's kind of a weakness for me. I, I build something in and oh, that, that's a tendency where I make trade-offs that I'm not pleased with later. I build something in so that it acts on me. And this really is the whole idea of effortless, right? Like effortless execution is I don't want to trust my weaknesses. I want to build a system that means my weaknesses become something like irrelevant. That's what I'm trying to build. So one of those things, like, I mean, literally physically, my, I take it with me everywhere. My personalized plan, I take everywhere, literally everywhere I go, I will have it. And so in it, I have the key relationships of my life, right? And that for me is very simple. That's my wife, Anna. That's our four children. They are the thousand X's in my life. And then there is a select group of friends. And then there's a much broader group of people that I also am building relationships and making sure I'm checking in on that really matter to me. If I fail in those relationships, then probably everything's probably okay. But but if I fail in my relationship with the thousand X's, it's like, no, nothing's okay. You're like, with my wife, Anna, like, let me use that as an example. If, I mean, it's an, an old saying, but it's like, if things are bad in your marriage, it doesn't matter how good anything else is, nothing's good. And if everything's good in your marriage, like, it doesn't matter how bad everything else is, everything is, everything is good. It's like, this is so disproportionately important. And so I don't think I can separate my answer to your question without saying, yeah, it's actually the establishment and building of this family that means there is a permanent system in place to help me remember what matters and who matters. When do you revisit that? In other words, if you're carrying this with you everywhere and it seems like, and again, I'll, I'll just, I'll add in my thoughts and then you can refine yes. as we go. But it seems like unlike a lot of folks, and this would include me, who probably start with what should I do, right? What should my priorities be? seems like you are starting with who and you have this constant reminder which acts as a system i'm wondering how you use that system right because i think about my phone i have one million three hundred and seventy nine thousand i'm making that up uh, notes on my phone and i'm like oh i i this is so important i'm definitely going to come back and read this and 99 percent of the time i never look at it again so how do you use this list of people the way that my binder works like the first section is all about direction sort of let's say essential intent for my whole life like what really really matters it's as succinct as possible it's a few pages in total that's always the place to begin right because i want to come back and get centered in what i have come to learn is closest approximation to the purpose of it all and I literally have to come back to it, right? Like you've heard the metaphor before, but you know, the idea of a flight is off track 90% of the time, like an airplane literally only gets to where it's supposed to get to at the time it's supposed to get there because it readjusts constantly along the way. And, and I feel like that myself. So like, for example, I don't think that I'm better at being an essentialist than anybody else. I think if 
if there's any advantage I've had in that journey, it's that I just really admit that I'm a non-essentialist easily. And so it's this idea like there's only two kinds of people in the world. There are people who are lost and there are people who know they are lost. It's like, I know how easy <laughs> it is for me to get lost. <laughs> Never heard that. That's good. I'm looking that definitely I will look properly at those few pages once a week, right? Like every Sunday morning, I will look through that. I will read through it. I'll underline that's things. That's in your calendar? Yes, yes. Sunday morning. That's right. And, but, but then at other times through the week, if I feel that sensation, I know people feel this, you know, that just sort of feels a bit crazy. It's feeling just a bit frenetic and frantic. Like what? I just texted Anna yesterday, like, man, in the morning, I'm like, man, I just feel so lost. And I don't mean for the last six months. I mean, for the last half hour, man, what is, I don't, I feel so lost right now. Okay. That's right. That's the signal. Go back, get centered, take a moment. What really is the intent? What matters in your life? Okay. Now from that, you know, and then you start designing your day. And I have some thoughts specifically about that. But, you know, you're asking the, the year process. I guess you're asking my system. So that's once a week. Okay, so for per day, let's get to that. So I've come to call this the one, two, three method. I do not do it every day. Man, I wish I was doing it every day. But I do it more often than I don't do it. And it's simply this, and it has to be written down for me in paper and pen, like not in technology free of technology. And I try now more often than not to have this power half an hour, right? Like where I don't go to text and email or apps or my phone for the first 30 minutes. And I do that. I haven't been doing great at that recently, but I still do that more often than I don't. And so in that, then instead of doing that, I'm in my planner and I'm literally writing, okay, what's the essential for today? What's the one most essential today, most important person, most important action for that person. Number two is I write two things that are essential, but urgent. That's like, you know, it could be all sorts of things. Any, you know, uh, whatever's got a deadline on it, finish this writing assignment by this deadline. It could be finish these financial things for, you know, retirement documentation, stuff that I don't really want to get to, but I know it's important and there's a deadline. And then the third thing is three things that are maintenance items, right? So that's just, I mean, that, that's anything that if I don't do it, it's not important today, but if I don't do it, it will make life a lot harder later. It's like an effortless strategy. And so that's the one, two, three method, right? One essential, two things that essential and urgent, three maintenance items. Would you mind, Greg, giving me just uh, some concrete examples so we can visualize what this looks like? They, they don't have to be real. I mean, they could be hypothetical, but just to give an example of what a one, two, three might look like. I'll just sort of talk through, as I talked through yesterday. So yesterday I was in California, in LA for an event. I was doing a keynote. I had my eldest daughter, Grace, with me. So the, when I was texted and they're like, oh man, I'm just kind of feeling a bit lost. After I expressed that, I was like, okay, get focused. What is the essential for today? The number one thing, oh, it's Grace is here. It's my relationship with Grace. I need to make sure that we connect today, that we're not just with each other all day. Like I tried to travel with one of my children about 80% of the time for keynotes. And, and so that's built into the system, but you still have to be present and connected. And so that was the priority. The two things that are essential and urgent, right? Like one of them, the keynote, right? That's coming up. And I don't really know how to phone it in on a keynote. And I certainly fear phoning it in 
because it's like such an opportunity missed. The thing is coming like that, that moment will arrive and you're going to be on stage. And it was for there's 500 people. It's the non-trivial event and all the senior leaders of the organization. And that was one of the key urgent tasks. And then you know, the next urgent task was to do with some family members who are, I won't get into the precise details of it, but there's some health challenges involved. So I've sort of taken it upon myself to say, okay, how could I maybe kind of be a little bit of a coach, which is not really a, the natural relationship I have with them, but I'm risking it because I think it really matters. And they seem to have responded really positively. And so I wanted to keep that going. That would be the next thing. And then of course, maintenance items from there. Maintenance items literally included, I was in Florida a couple of days before California. So like literally I have to unpack everything, put everything back in its place, make sure that that's just in order so that you don't get behind on those things. I needed to respond to a key email about a contract that we've been in negotiation with over the last couple of months. That would be an item of maintenance. So when you're talking about the few pages that you would review on Sunday mornings, yeah. what would be an example of something from those few pages? Because I feel like this would be very helpful for me in the sense that I feel like I am pretty good at staying on task. I'm pretty good at keeping the important things in mind and majoring in the major things. However, there are certainly times when, and weeks when I get a little lost and end up doing a lot of minor things. And at the end of the week, couldn't really point to what I've achieved. What might be some examples from those few pages, if you don't mind sharing? I have two pages at the beginning I don't share anywhere, but it's very carefully worded. The highest expression of what I think the fullest manifestation of my life can be. It's not goals. It's beyond that. It's like who you can be, what your most important relationships can look like. And, and it's sacred, right? Like that's how I feel about that. And so that's all the most important centering part of it because Literally, if you don't get clear on that, nothing else matters in the system, right? If you execute superbly on things that end up not being what your life needed to be about, then it doesn't matter. Efficiently doing what should not be done at all, of course, is like it's a form of madness, right? Like it's you speedily going the wrong direction. Next up, Dr. Nolan Williams associate professor at the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Stanford University School of Medicine and director of the Stanford Brain Stimulation Lab. So Deirdre is maybe in her 50s, 60s, female in uh, Bay Area who has suffered from bipolar disorder much of her life and pretty successfully treated for the mania side of things over the years, had a psychiatrist taking care of that part in Marin, and happened to slip into this pretty severe depressive episode a couple of years back. It's been maybe like four or five years now. And her psychiatrist had actually gone to see a talk that I gave at this Mood Disorders Day like the year before. We were talking, it was really early on when we were working on our rapid acting neurostimulation approach. So the psychiatrist had heard the talk and then her patient kind of fell into this really bad suicidal depression. And so she reached out to me to treat her and I got on the phone. I'll never forget. It was like a Wednesday and I, I got on the phone with her psychiatrist and 
she was telling me symptomatically how bad off she was. And I was like, I don't think we can treat her outpatient. She's like way too ill. I think she needs to go to the inpatient hospital. So essentially gave her some information on how to do that. So I, I see her the next morning and, and she's in really bad shape. What does that mean? Like, how did that show up? When people are at the level where they like kind of definitively need to go into the hospital, they're not really totally communicative anymore. And they've got some cognitive issues um, sometimes. And so in her case, you know, she couldn't look you in the eyes. You look at the ground and she was doing this rocking thing, mm-hmm. which you can see in pretty severe depression. It's kind of these catatonia overlap symptoms, you know. I mean, she's like at the kind of the very end of the spectrum, one of the highest severity patients we've ever treated. So she was like a score of 50 on the modulus out of 60, like very, very severe, right? And, and just rocking and not really talking. And, and the husband's recounting everything. And she had bipolar one. So she's hypomanic, I think, or manic like two weeks before, and then dropped into this very, very severe depression. So it was her daughter and the husband, and they're sitting in the room with me, and I said, they want me to treat her. And I say, listen, like, it's Friday. We go Monday to Friday. Like, you have to find a way, basically, to keep her well from now until Monday. And that means... And by well, you mean safe, like like preventing self-harm. Yeah, exactly. So keep her not having a suicide attempt, basically, from now until Monday. She's very suicidal. And I said, you're going to have to, like, Take every knife, I don't think any guns, but gun, chemical, like scissors, everything out of the house, the whole, all of it has to go. And you guys have to be on like a 24 hour, you know, watch until Monday. And so uh, Monday morning rolls around and we, uh, we bring her in and the craziest thing, we had like a, a repair on the motor threshold coil, which is the coil you use to kind of get calibrated on the intensity and it shorted out the device and blew the uh, capacitor bank up on the first stimulator. Blew your flux capacitor. Yeah, yeah, at, at like 7 a.m. And I mean, you can't imagine how stressful that was. So we had a second machine. I'll tell you about this later. But we were running this you know, trait hypnotizability modulation study, mm-hmm. and it was over at the scanner. So it was like pretty far away. And these things weigh like 100 pounds. So I had to send my team over there, run over there and grab it, bring it over. And luckily, we were able to kind of get her going and treat her with a second machine. She was in really, really bad shape that morning. And by five o'clock that afternoon, she was basically normal. And the next morning, she was like totally zeroed out and and completely normal. Meaning no suicidality. Meaning no depression, no nothing. Mm -hmm. I mean, she looked like any person walking the street, like totally normal. And that was in 24 hours. And we've seen this with bipolar patients quicker. It'll happen really quick for like a bipolar one patient. You can get it done and sometimes in a day. Just for clarity, by get it done, and don't worry, people listening, we're going to define terms and get into all this, but you're talking about accelerated TMS. Yeah, we're talking about accelerated TMS. Our rapid acting neurostimulation approach, we're able to get people out of these states and into normal mood. You know, and in short periods of time, generally, like 2.6 days on average for major depression patients, but it's quicker with bipolar, we've seen, especially with bipolar one patients. So she was totally out of it in 24 hours. I remember it was like right around July 4th or something. And so we, you know, the whole team left. I guess we'll talk about caffeine later too. So <laughs> so my wife and I are like big Phil's Coffee fans. And so mm-hmm. I'll never forget this either. So we go down to the Phil's Coffee uh, in Palo Alto after I saw them. I'll never forget it. Clark Lehman, her husband, was also went to Phil's. Didn't know I was going to be there. And I look over and this guy's just kind of staring at me. And I was like... Hey, how are you? Good to see you again. I just like just saw the guy like 10 minutes ago. 
And he's like, I still don't understand what happened. And it, it makes sense, right? Like to take somebody from the worst you've ever seen them mood wise to like normal in such a short period of time was remarkable for him. And, you know, it ended up being that, you know, after that period, they actually went out and really were helpful with a lot of the philanthropy that led to the trials being funded and ultimately the clearance. And Clark and Deirdre really were advocates and have continue to be advocates for this to kind of get it out into the world. And he, it was totally based off of that experience of feeling Mm -hmm. him feeling helpless, you know, and going Mm -hmm. from that to to feeling like it was all solved. And I think she went maybe a year completely asymptomatic, ended up needing to get retreated again at some point, but gets like these little touch-ups here and there and uh, is able to stay well ongoing and depression. As they tell me, depression's not her problem anymore. Mm. And so that's good. She's a great illustrative case of what this can do and I think what the promise of it can be. Next up, Noah Kagan, founder of AppSumo.com and author of Million Dollar Weekend, the surprisingly simple way to launch a seven-figure business in 48 hours. Just to share another story of that, I noticed through all of my work that I was like, I like deals, I like marketing, and I think the software thing is going to be big. How do I do this very quickly to find out if this is something people actually want? And that's the reason you have weekend, because you have 52 chances to change it. If it doesn't work one, guess what? You have another one and another one. And at least understand a process. You're so good at this. You're so good at thinking about that. So how do I experiment? And so with AppSumo, I was like, I think there's something with these three things. Let me try to do it in a weekend. I cold emailed Imgur, this college kid, said, hey, I want to do software deals. I'll pay $7 for everyone I sell. For him, he's like, I'll get free money. That's cool. So a cold email. It was just, and it was funny. I Wait, put, how did you find the college kid to cold email? Because I went to imgur.com. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, no, not a <laughs> I random I that was color. some like name from Azerbaijan. Okay. Imgur. No, 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 no. The website. Imgur.com. So I knew that the problem with software deals at good prices. <laughs> I knew that I'm a Redditor and I was like, well, that's who, where the customers are. And then that's who the customers are and where they are. And I was like, they want Imgur. That was the most popular product at the time. Uh-huh. That was all over it. So basically cold emailed Alan, just Alan at Imgur.com. I was like, hey, I want to promote you. $7 per deal. You get free money. It's no cost to you. And then I was like, well, I can get this posted on Reddit. And I even cold emailed the founders of Reddit and was able to get them to give me free ads. Yeah. How did you do that? So curiosity. I know. Why would they give you free ads? I don't really know, actually. That's I'd, bullshit. No, no. Now, what was the pitch, though? The pitch was twofold. One, I said I knew someone they knew. So I worked with Chris Smoke. When I started previous companies, he knew Chris slow. So we're at Chris Smoke so slow. So when you're sending an email, it's a really strong subject line or any messages like referred by blah. At least you're going to get an open or reply. Said, hey, I'm working and by on- by the way, don't bullshit that because you'll get fact-checked. Yeah. I just got someone fact-checked with me, like Jordan Hart. You know Jordan Harbinger? Yeah. He's a good buddy of mine. He fact-checked someone who messaged him like, hey, Noah Kagan's working with you, hit me. And Jordan messages me. It's like, of course, working with this guy? immediately. I like, yeah. I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. It was a little bit more than that. Basically, I said, hey, I'd love to just treat you to lunch and share more what I'm working on. And so I took him to a pork store cafe in, in Haight. And I just shared what I was working on and said, I'm doing this idea for software deals. I want to focus on Reddit. I'm a huge Redditor. I've been a Redditor since 2006. It's with Imgur. I'd love to see if you can give me free ads. There wasn't a bigger ask than that. Again, we come back full circle. It's because you know I like asking. I practice asking. Everyone can ask. He's like, sure. Crazy part of that story. Fast forward about six months. I asked him again. And he's like ten thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I highly appreciate Chris and, and Reddit for giving me that free. It was they were just getting their ad platform out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was yeah. a good chance. And that, okay, that was a good now chance for them make, to showcase something or right? have a case study. 
that it worked well. So I launched it. I was like, if I can do 200 sales, this is obviously a little bit bigger than what I'm encouraging others. If I can get 200 sales within a very short time, this is it. And let me just break down the website. I paid $48 to a guy named Muhammad, who I can still recommend to people, to help me put a PayPal button on AppSumo.com. And I spent $12 on AppSumo.com, which I know I should have maybe done even not the website. But that PayPal button, people, and I post on Reddit, hey, I've got a deal on Imgur Pro. Instead of $24, it's 12 And I gave Alan $7 immediately. That first $12 sale was the best, dude. Yeah. That was so sweet. <laughs> and I remember, and this is the thing, people were like, well, how do I scale? I emailed the codes for every 200 person. You know what my backend was? Gmail. <laughs> I got the PayPal notification and then I sent him an email saying, thank you so much. Here's your code for Imgur Pro. What other deals do you want me to get? And that is what's led now to like a hundred person team. And we have all these crazy products. We've launched on so many different things from AppSumo. We have, I think a 20, 25 person engineering team. It started with literally manual Gmail codes. And so the concept there is just how so fucking basic. I didn't let all these other things get in the way. Yeah, and also... That super primitive back end that you're talking about, <laughs> highly manual, but high touch with the customer. Yes, yes. Gives you a lot of really valuable input. And even though we've been talking about the word scale is kind of a four-letter word, in one of the very first episodes of Masters of Scale that Reed Hoffman did, he interviewed Brian Chesky of Airbnb. Mm. And it's a great episode. And one of the key tenets in the beginning for Airbnb was do things that don't scale. And those things tended to be highly manual, helping people take photographs of their places. And what they learned then led to a lot of what we've seen. Next up, Dr. Andy Galpin, professor of kinesiology and co-director of the Center for Sports Performance at California State University, Fullerton, and host of the new podcast, perform. Last year slash this year, do you have a plan for supplementation? What I have done over the last, say, nine months, which has, and this is going to sound like a shameless plug because I'm involved with these guys, but probably what I would do this ski season is I would have a never-ending supply of Maui Nui oh. venison sticks, like yeah. the unsweetened, yeah. like no additional sugar. And that has proven for me to be just about the easiest way to get nutrient-dense 30 grams of protein in the morning. I can just throw those in my ski jacket, too. So that will probably take the place of eggs, Yeah. also just for convenience. In terms of supplementation, I would say last year, I kept it pretty simple. I would say I was taking magnesium, some electrolytes, generally magnesium in the morning, and then... I went back and forth on creatine. I know that there are so many different benefits to creatine. I was cognizant of not wanting to carry too much weight, like additional water weight, if I was going to retain a lot more water. Oh, yep. So I used that intermittently. I would often use that around cross-training. So if I was like kind of going to the gym. Athletic greens, again, this can sound like a plug, but I've been using that stuff since 2000-whatever, 9 or 10. And supplementation, we could say, you know, I I could be brief here if you'd like. Mm -hmm. But... Absolutely making sure magnesium is there. Magnesium is released in sweat at very low quantities, but it's still enough when you sweat the amount that you're potentially oh, going yeah. to be sweating. Oh, yeah, also with, with skiing, like I'm going to sweat my ass off. Yeah. I'll be working. So you, you want to make sure that that stuff is high. Creatine is great. If you're going to use it, I wouldn't use it the way you did. Okay. I would use it or don't. Okay, got So it. having it like on certain days or not is probably not. Make it daily or not. Yeah, because it takes a chronic effect yeah. for it to really start to matter unless you're going really high dosage. Mm-hmm. 
So I wouldn't be super concerned about the water retention aspect of it. because Might even be a plus. Yeah, I was going to say, we're having a yeah. problem with that anyways, right? Any recommendation, if you try it and it doesn't work, you don't like it. Yeah. And what are we talking about? Like five grams a day or what are we? That's the number. That's the standard. That's yeah. what everyone throws out. But I would say the same thing of like. Like the protein? Yeah. Yeah. Like why? Candidly for guys our size, it's fine. I'm probably going higher. I'm also never measuring creatine to be totally honest. Like I'm just yeah. taking big scoops and throwing it in there. Yeah. Like seeing what happens. There's actually really interesting data on the more recent stuff, the more interesting stuff on creatine is around bone health, brain health, and overall even like mood. Brain health is no joke. Yeah. yeah, but that's been 10 to 20 grams a day. I have experimented with that chronically and just looking at verbal, I mean, it's... Recall, yeah. And also just like verbal acuity and, and stuff in podcasts. I mean, I've looked at, at this somewhat and it's N of one. It's just self-reporting, but for me, it's pretty noticeable. You don't have to do N of one. There's data. Yeah. There's tons of it out there that's... Yeah. Nothing's perfect, but yeah. there's actually another review article just this week came out also on creatine and brain health. Mm -hmm. So whether you're looking at dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, stuff like that, it's an, there's no perfect answer there, but yeah. you can see the data. Anything else you'd add to the list? The rest of it would be dependent upon your labs and your physiology, yeah. what we knew there. You could throw in, you're never going to be hurt for the most part, adding vitamin D. It's a very yeah. common one. You're yeah. going to be out in the sun all day. So Well, half of my face will be out in the sun all day. <laughs> there will be significant sun blockage, I hope. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I did supplement with D last year. Yeah, and fish oil? I also supplemented with fish oil. Yeah. Could be uh, placebo, who knows? There's probably literature out there on this, but I found it to seemingly help with sleep quite a bit. Those would be the standard kind of, without knowing anything about you, you throw in that cocktail, you're talking about things that are fairly cheap. Yeah. yeah again, relatively. Yeah. They have very little cross-reaction, mm -hmm. unlike minerals, yeah. unlike even high-doses vitamins. Mm -hmm. You're playing a game there that you may want to be a bit careful of, mm -hmm. but things like vitamin D and things like omega-3. Meaning just unintended side. Unintended, yeah. Side effects, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to know what problem you're solving, really, and so you're just sort of throwing stuff in there. That can technically happen with anything, even vitamin D and heavy metals mm -hmm. can be concerned there, but it's a very rare thing so most of the time like you're fine I, I feel comfortable saying like most people can jump on that train mm -hmm. for all those and be, be totally fine last but not least chris beresford hill chief creative officer of the americas at bbdo worldwide so who is david and what does this mean and any other any other lessons learned or principles so David is the worldwide chairman and chief creative officer of BBDO. I worked for him for eight years, and I've kind of not shy of saying he was the best boss I ever had. He was the best boss I ever had because he, he was very clear and he was very consistent, and that's what you need in leadership. And so you could show him a bunch of work, and he would tell you what he liked and what he chose right away. And that was that. And he didn't need to split hairs. He would, he would come give you his response, and he knew that he would make a bigger impact in this giant company by going around and saying, I think this is the most right thing, the most creative thing, the most interesting thing, and just go and do that and not be afraid to make decisions, create progress. And by the way, you know, if he picked something that was wrong, whoop-de-doo, we'd, we'd have to go back and do it again. Or maybe we had one that, that wasn't as good as it could have been, but he never inhibited progress. He always facilitated progress by doing that. Meaning sort of catalyzing some type of forward motion. Exactly. Mm -hmm. He never would say, let me 
take this back. Let me think about it. Or let's pull more people into it. He would just give you these gut reads and it always gave you permission to go forward. And it really taught that um, someone who's really pushing everyone and keeping everyone in motion just happens to always be at the center of so much. And that's why, you know, for that eight years, I mean, the agency was one of the most awarded in the world. And there was my little corner of the universe, but there was all these other corners. And he just amplified himself by empowering his people and saying a lot of yes, sometimes a no, but he was, you know, he was always game to move forward. Were you able to emulate that at the time in some small way? Or is that something that you were only able to implement later as you had more and more direct reports? Or I used team? it. I used it then because BBO at that time was David's place. So we, David said to do it. David said, let's go. I don't think we ever got a look at an org chart or reporting structure. I don't think we ever knew that that carried muster, but a lot of us loved the decisions he was making. And so enough of us would constantly say, that's what David wants. And so whether or not that was be all end all, it became be all end all. Hmm. And so we were all emboldened to make moves. I myself couldn't, there wasn't much I could do in with terms it at of the time. making your own decisions. No, no, right. I was kind of probably working through my own mm-hmm. process, but it, it was invaluable later because you do see people that in a high creative role, you've really got to make things happen. And you will see some people in very senior roles that really gild the lily and that really obsess over- Such a great expression. The, it, it, it is. And, and by the way, the gilding the lily of, of someone who's looking at a two minute case study for an award show and changing the mix on the music eight times. And you're like, listen, doesn't really matter. And there's times to craft the hell out of it, but there's also this step back. And I think in our industry and in, in creativity, fast decisions are really stepping back you know, as opposed to getting in the weeds. Can you say more about that? What I'd like to hear you riff on a little bit is how you think about fast decisions. Mm -hmm. This is a source of constant fascination for me. It's something I revisit a lot. Mm -hmm. To what extent do I prioritize like speed and just catalyzing things happening versus honing, minimizing mistakes? I think that's what it comes down to for a lot of people. It's like, what error rate are you willing to accept? Right? Is it 10%? I know it's hard to track these things, but is it like you're willing to accept a kind of breakage of making the wrong call 10% of the time because the speed net net over time is just a huge competitive advantage and yep. good for what you're doing? That's a long question, but with a fair amount of lead up, how do you think about that? I remember that at the end of the day, it's subjective. It's not mathematics. It's not mathematical. And so, you know, I've learned to trust myself and I've learned that if you AB something too long, you're lost. So I think the more I get stuck in something, the more I realize I need to make a fast decision because I don't think obsession when you're really deciding go, no go, good idea, bad idea, excited about this, not excited about this. I don't think time is your friend. I think time pulls everything. Mm. It slows everything down. It takes the energy out of it. So I think sometimes you just got to let it fly. And then by the way, you can correct and you can change as you go, I mean, you know, I've approved ads that wound up being completely different ads that we're really proud of. So that, that's the other thing is that, you know, nothing is totally fixed. It also strikes me that there are so many things, just pulling from my own experience, that get worse with time and more deliberation, like deals and just deal structures, right? Negotiating, often in my experience, it's like the longer it takes, the more that is a harbinger of pain to come, right? Or just a bad, wasteful outcome that ends up stalling out. 
there's so many things like that where it's like, okay, if there isn't some speed to this, likely the outcome's going to be worse. For sure. Time kills all deals. Yeah. For sure. And it kills momentum and it kills energy and it takes people. So if you've got people going, if you need to take something offline for yourself, just know that their muscles are going to cool. They're going to take a break and they're going to, you know, restart. And, and many times, you know, the wrong decision can become the right decision. And now here are the bios for all the guests. My guest today is a guest who is very relevant for me personally right now, Greg McEwen. And he is relevant because he is easily one of my favorite thinkers on all things related to effectiveness, efficiency, and at the end of the day, quality of life and keeping your priority or priorities top of mind so that you are laser focused to do what really matters, the high leverage things, which are sometimes the small things done with relentless focus that deliver incredibly, incredibly important outcomes. So let's get to it. This is a walk and talk with Greg McEwen. And overall, it is about how to find your purpose and master essentialism in 2024 or in the new year, if you're listening to this later. And the walk and talk format is something I wanted to experiment with because let's face it, most of us sit too much. And if we consider sitting the new smoking on some level with its health implications, and I want to give credit to Kelly Starrett, who is also a multiple time podcast guest for, I believe, coining that expression, we should get out and walk more. Part of what makes us human, part of what enabled our brains to become these incredible machines they have become, which are powered on less electricity than a light bulb, by the way, is walking. The fact that we perambulate, the fact that we walk historically much of the day. And I wanted to also contend with some back issues that I have that are exacerbated by extended sitting. And many different health issues are correlated to extended sitting. So, this is a direct oppositional approach to perhaps the YouTube build TV show approach, which is this is audio only. And when I'm recording this, I am out walking. I have a high fidelity headset on and Greg is doing the same. We are doing something good for our bodies while we are having a fun and productive conversation. And my suggestion to everyone listening is if you can, do a walk and listen. There is no reason for you to be parked in front of a laptop watching a video contributing to your own physical demise hour by hour. If you can be out walking around listening to this, also doing something good for your body and therefore for your entire life. So get out, try a walk and listen while we walk and talk. You can be part of the conversation and that's enough preamble on the format. But I really feel strongly that this is something I'm going to do more of. I loved doing it and my hope is that you will join us in walking more. It is the cure-all for so many things. Greg McEwen, who is he? You can find him on Twitter at Gregory McEwen, spelled M-C-K-E-O-W-N. Greg is the author of two New York Times bestsellers, mega bestsellers, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less, which is a book I have read many times, and then I have reread my Kindle highlights probably 15, 20 times. And his second book, Effortless, subtitle, 
make it easier to do what matters most. Together, they've sold more than 2 million copies in 37 languages. He's also a speaker, host of the Greg McEwen podcast, and founder of the Essentialism Academy with students from 96 countries. More than 175,000 people have also signed up to his One Minute Wednesday newsletter. He is currently doing a doctorate at the University of Cambridge, and he is as I mentioned, easily one of my favorite thinkers on many, 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 many different areas. And he is intensely practical. Originally from London, England, Greg and his wife, Anna, are parents to four children. You can find everything Greg at gregmcewen.com. My guest is Nolan Williams, MD. You can find him on Twitter at Nolan Rye, R-Y, Williams. And Nolan is an associate professor within the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Stanford University School of Medicine and director of the Stanford Brain Stimulation Lab. And we're going to go deep into a lot related to brain stimulation. He has a broad background in clinical neuroscience and is triple board certified in general neurology, general psychiatry, and behavioral neurology and neuropsychiatry. Themes of his work include examining spaced learning theory and neurostimulation techniques, development and mechanistic understanding of rapid-acting antidepressants, and identifying objective biomarkers that predict neuromodulation responses in treatment-resistant neuropsychiatric conditions. That is a long way of saying that he specializes in looking at, I would say, and these are my words, of course, cutting edge treatments and new technologies that can be applied to treatment resistant psychiatric disorders, let's just say. So treatment resistant depression, things that are notoriously difficult to address like OCD, there are many others. Nolan's work resulted in an FDA clearance for the world's first non-invasive rapid-acting neuromodulation approach for treatment-resistant depression. And I've tested this myself, and we get into this in the conversation. He has published papers in Brain, American Journal of Psychiatry, and Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Results from his studies have gained attention in Science and the New England Journal of Medicine Journal Watch. He received two NARSAD Young Investigator Awards, the Gerald L. Clareman Award, and the National Institute of Mental Health Biobehavioral Research Award for Innovative New Scientists. Again, you can find him on Twitter or X at Nolan Rye Williams. We'll link to this in the show notes as well. And you can find him online at nolanrwilliams.com. No, Kagan. Tim Ferriss. It's been a minute. Nice to see you. Great to see you. It really so is. our last rodeo from an audio perspective was ages ago. Number 75 on the podcast, now close to 700 episodes. Wow. Yeah. And at that time, it was how Facebook's number 30 employee quickly built four businesses and gained 40 pounds with weight training. I feel like my headlines have deteriorated over time. (laughs) They've become very sort of pedantic and pedestrian and, and descriptive that is better copy. So I need to I need to work on that copy. Maybe you drafted that copy yourself, actually. For, for all I know, that could have been the case. We have a lot to talk about, but for people who don't have any context, yeah, man. could you give a little self-intro? Great to see you first off. Yeah, it's great been, to see you too. Great to see you. Now we're at $8 million businesses, mm-hmm. which is pretty amazing. I was number 30 at Facebook, number four at mint.com. I was a cubicle monkey at Intel for a very brief moment, which sucked, which led me to this entrepreneurship journey. And then I've started so many different businesses that failed 
some worked and now I help run AppSumo.com, number one site online for software deals. We do about $80 million a year, which is unreal. It started bootstrapped in a weekend. I couldn't believe it when I saw that. I, I can't I, believe it. I remember, I remember just <laughs> day one of AppSumo, effectively, it, back in the day. It's been crazy, and you were a big help with it. You're super big help with getting it going, so thank you. You're welcome. YouTube channel has done pretty well, a million subs, got a book, Million Dollar Weekend, coming out to help people, very similar, complimentary to for our work week. Mm-hmm. And we're here today. Andy Galpin. Who is Andy? Andy Galpin is a tenured full professor at California State University Fullerton, where he is also co-director of the Center for Sport Performance and founder director of the Biochemistry and Molecular Exercise Physiology Laboratory. He is a human performance scientist with a PhD in human bioenergetics and more than 100 peer-reviewed publications and presentations. It turns out he has done research, his team has done research on many things that have been on this show. I didn't realize some of it in advance. Dr. Galpin has worked with elite athletes, including all-stars, all-pros and MVPs, Cy Young and major winners, Olympic gold medalists and world titleists and contenders across many, many different sports. That includes MMA. So for instance, UFC, MLB, NBA, PGA, NFL, all the acronyms, Olympics, boxing, military special forces, and much more. He is also a co-founder of Biomolecular Athlete, Vitality Blueprint, Absolute Rest, and Rapid Health and Performance. You can find all things Andy Galpin at andygalpin.com, and you can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Andy Galpin, spelled G-A-L-P-I-N. The guest, Chris Beresford-Hill, is best known as a creative leader in advertising. He's an ad man. He's a very, very good ad man. He started off as an unpaid intern. The journey is wild. His technique's highly effective, but he's not just an ad man. This conversation is really about coming up with good ideas. How do you come up with original and good ideas that not only can say sell product, but also change narratives, change stories, change the stories people tell, change culture on some level. And I loved this conversation. So let me get to the bio and then I will give some teasers. Chris Bairdsford Hill is one of the most sought after creative leaders in advertising and has led brands with a combined market cap of over $1 trillion. He was recently named Chief Creative Officer of the Americas, BBDO. Previously, Chris served as North America President and Chief Creative Officer at Ogilvy and Chief Creative Officer at TBWA Shiat Day. His work for clients like Guinness, Mountain Dew, Dove, Workday, Adidas, FedEx, McDonald's, HBO, and Foot Locker have driven sales while putting dent after dent into pop culture. But it's not just these huge brands. We also get into the early stories of how cold email to Mark Cuban changed the game for him completely. So we do talk about the super scrappy bootstrapped very, very novice days when he made a mark and slowly built his trajectory up to the stratosphere. Back to the bio. Chris and his teams have won every award for creativity and effectiveness many times over. They even have, and I didn't even realize this was a thing, five campaigns in the permanent collection at MoMA. He has been named to Adweek's list of best creatives, Adweek's Creative 100, Business Insider's Most Creative People in Advertising, and the ad age 40 under 40, back when he was under 40. And you can find Chris Beardsford Hill on LinkedIn. That is the best place to connect. And we'll link to that in the show notes at tim.blog slash podcast, but it is linkedin.com slash IN slash Chris Beardsford Hill, B-E-R-E-S-F-O-R-D-L-I-L-L. Hey guys, this is Tim again. Just one more thing before you take off, and that is Five Bullet Friday. Would you enjoy getting a short email from me every Friday that provides a little fun before the weekend? 
Between one and a half and two million people subscribe to my free newsletter, my super short newsletter called Five Bullet Friday. Easy to sign up, easy to cancel. It is basically a half page that I send out every Friday to share the coolest things I've found or discovered or have started exploring over that week. It's kind of like my diary of cool things. It often includes articles I'm reading, books I'm reading, albums perhaps, gadgets, gizmos, all sorts of tech tricks and so on that get sent to me by my friends, including a lot of podcast guests. And these strange esoteric things end up in my field and then I test them and then I share them with you. So if that sounds fun, again, it's very short, a little tiny bite of goodness before you head off for the weekend, something to think about. If you'd like to try it out, just go to tim.blog slash Friday. Type that into your browser, tim.blog slash Friday. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.